you are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 52. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, my friends. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. This is From Sobriety to Recovery. I am in addiction recovery, and it is wonderful to have you back for another episode. Once again, I'm super pumped <laughs> about this one. A little bit about what's been going on since last week, whenever I did the show. Um, I am in full-on work, work, work mode. I've gotten the typesetting back for my upcoming book, College Success Habits, that comes out here in the spring. And uh, this is the phase where all the writing's been done, and now I've had my editor put it into actual pages. And so now I have to go through each and every page, make sure I'm happy with the spacing. And of course, along the way, I'm finding little commas here and little strikethroughs there. And most importantly, how to reword some stuff because before it was in a Word document, and now it's actually on pages. And so it's, it's different visually than it has been before. And so now I'm catching some stuff. And so it's been absolutely amazing. I've been hard at work on this for the last week. Each day I set a priority of doing one chapter. And it's really, what's the best way to put this? It's really helped me understand my own boundaries with myself. And that's something that we're going to be talking about soon because we're going to do a little bit of Q&A here as as well as just throwing in some of what's been going on with me and, and how the questions I've been getting asked on Facebook and Instagram have really played an integral role in what's going to talk about in this episode as well as the things that have been going on in my mind. Because when I try to do too much, I start to get overloaded. And then my brain starts to think about, you know, it's like, okay, I've got to get these pages read and I've got to get them edited. And then all of a sudden I start thinking about my brain wants to think about five pages away. What if I want to change that? And next thing I know, I'm thinking five steps and 10 steps. And what about the back cover summary? And what about the copyright? And what about all this other stuff? And what ends up happening is that I start to future pace. I start to think so many steps into the future that the workload starts to feel all-encompassing, like overbearing. And why I want to really talk about this now is that when you start to think further ahead than just the very next step that you can do, everything will start to feel extremely heavy. This this is one of the reasons why I, I think that the moniker one day at a time is so important when it comes to our sobriety and recovery. Because if you start to future pace a year from now, your next birthday, your the next celebration you'll have to attend, your wedding or somebody in your family's wedding, whatever it might be, and you start thinking, well, what if I want to drink on that day? What if I want to drink on that day? Or what, what will happen when that day comes? It's like, what are you doing? You know, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, what am I doing? Stop thinking five steps away. Stop thinking five days and 50 days and 500 days from now because it's now. What is sitting in front of me right now that I can do to move this book along? Or what is sitting in front of me right now that will help me move my addiction recovery on? Going so far into the future that you start to anticipate and think about what you're going to do 10 steps away, the next three steps could completely change the next six. And when you get to that 10th step, you won't possibly even be in the same place that you thought you would be. 
So when you start trying to future pace, which is my my term that I use for thinking too far ahead, when you start to future pace, just reel it in and think about what can I do right now in order to move whatever it is you're trying to do along. I'm not going to sit here and throw out a thousand examples because I think you all have the ability to think about what in your life are you future pacing too far on? Are you trying to lose some weight? Whatever it might be, you already know what it is. And are you thinking 5, 10, 15, 20 steps off into the future, which is serving you no good? Because what that will do is cause this entire project that you're working on, whatever it might be, the hell, it could just be your addiction recovery, right? It, it, it just all of a sudden it becomes all consuming. And you start thinking to yourself, how in the world am I ever going to finish this? And when you start questioning how you're going to finish something, it can really hinder you even starting. I know this is something I thought of at University of Florida, and it's one of the reasons I didn't go to AA. Well, I went a few times, but it's one of the reasons I didn't continue going is because the thought of all the days ahead that I wouldn't want to be sober caused me not to even be able to be sober that day. And so this is going to do, we're going to do a little Q&A, and this is really a great segue into the next question I got um, via Facebook. So <laughs> this is something interesting. I didn't... I don't know all of things, social media, and sometimes I think I do. And then all of a sudden I realized that in Facebook, in the messages, when you're on it on your desktop, there's actually the, the normal messages that come from people I'm friends with or that they send them directly. I, I don't know how this works, but there's a whole other side where people, I think it's called request messages. Um, let's see if my computer can pull up another page real fast and where I can look at this because it really blew my mind because I was messing around on Facebook the other day and somehow I got into the messenger and I started pushing around on some buttons and quickly realized that there is a whole thing called message requests. I didn't even know existed. (laughs) And so there are, all of them are from my listeners. All of them are from you. And so I, I recently responded to one of them. I will go through them. Some of them are really long back ago. I mean, we're talking like May. And I'm sorry, I didn't even know this existed. And uh, one of the questions that came across, so that was my little background for how I came across this question, was that I found this message request folder. And um, one of the questions that was proposed to me, and I'll read it, here it goes. How do I set boundaries for myself? I have to work a lot to cover my bills, but I want to go to meetings, find super friends, and take care of my health. How do I do it all? And this is a really great question. How do you do it all? Because this is something that I battle with, and it's why I started the show with what I just discussed, is understanding uh, what it is I'm trying to prioritize, and then putting that at the front of whatever it is I'm doing that day, and making sure that's what gets my primary prioritization, my primary focus. Um, in my other show, College Success Habits, episode two, my um, beefle, my brother's father-in-law, Tom Rigsby, great friend of the show and great friend of mine, is a business coach, and he teaches a, a, a time management system called Priority Four Focuses. And I use this as my primary way, as my only way of having my to-do list and getting things done. And so a quick little brief about it is that you take a piece of paper and you put a P at the top 
And then on different lines underneath it, you put four Fs. So you have your priority and your four focuses. And your priority becomes the number one thing you must get done that day in order for your day to be a win. And that could be going to a meeting, that could be spending quality time with your loved one, whatever it is for you that day that is the most important thing that you must get done in order for you to consider that day a win. And then underneath it go the four focuses, right? Because you're going to have time throughout the day where you can be doing other things while you're waiting for the priority to show up. If your priority that day is working out and you get up at five in the morning and you go work out, your priority's done. Now you can just focus on your four focuses. Um, I should do a whole episode about this, so I don't want to get lost in the weeds of it. But just picture PFFFF, right? Well, this is how I make sure that I set boundaries for myself. Because I, there are a ton of things that I want to do. And what ends up happening is that I try to put 15 of those things on my list and there's not enough time you know, to, to work my normal day job and then to come home and go to the gym, which I'm doing five days a week now, come home, eat some lunch, work on my projects, eat some dinner, have some downtime, you know, be able to call friends and, and have a bit of a social life, be able to go to meetings. There's all these things. And so the answer to the listener's question would go as follows, is that you have to set boundaries for yourself by understanding what is it each day that you can prioritize? What is it today that matters to you the most? And then your focuses become other things that are equally important, but not as important as the priority. If the focuses don't get done, they can get pushed to tomorrow. And eventually, if a focus stays on there long enough, then you move it to priority. For me, the gym shows up on my list every single day as a focus because I want to hit that. So I'm going to put it down on the list because when it's down, it gets done. If you're, if you're one of these people who sits there and makes up a list of 20 things that you're going to do that day and you find yourself only getting five or six done, this is why. You don't have that much time. Unless literally you say that you want to clean your house and then on your to-do list you put mop floor, you know, brush toilet, Windex bathroom mirror. Yeah, you can break them all down if you want, and then you can feel like you got more done. But in the end, you realize all you really did was clean your house, right? And if that's only going to take an hour and a half, yeah, you may have clocked 13 things off your list. But in reality, you just cleaned your house, right? Not to belittle that. Trust me, cleaning the house is awesome, and you should do it. But I'm just saying, like, instead of putting 20 things on your list, keep it to five. And the boundaries you set for yourself is realizing that you cannot do it all in one day. Break it down into little segments. Like I have this book. Each day I get a chapter done. And then boom, before you know it, the entire book has been edited and proofread in nine days. Could I have sat down and tried to do it all in six days? Or I'm sorry, in six hours? I could. But I'll tell you what happens is after about an hour of reading the book, instead of reading it to edit, I'm actually just reading it. And then I'm missing stuff. And I know this is happening because I've gone back and reread chapters and caught things. And I'm like, why didn't I catch that the first time? And then I realize, oh, it's because I was trying to do two hours of editing that day instead of just one. So I just break things down smaller chunks so that my brain stays fresh on what it is I'm trying to do. So when it comes to setting boundaries for yourself, it's realizing that you can't do it all in one day. You've got to sleep for eight hours. Probably if you eat three times a day, that's another two to three hours. We're just prepping and eating. And then if you're exercising and if you're going to meetings and now you've got to drive there, then you've got to call your sister or your brother or your best friend on the phone. So 
just understand that in order to set a boundary for yourself, you have to know how to prioritize and focus on what you really need to accomplish that day. Okay, question number two. It came from somebody um, on Instagram who saw my my post the other day about um, finding something to spark you. And so they, it was as simple as all they asked me was, how do I find something to spark me? And this to me is, 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 is sounds super simple, but at the same time, there, there's a lot of depth to it. And then this is what I did for myself when I first got sober, was I went back and I asked myself, what was it that addiction took from me? Right, not just my time and my money, and in many cases my dignity and self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, we, we we know dignity and self-esteem and self-respect, and perhaps even the love of loved ones, and hell, definitely the love of myself. Yes, addiction took all that way, and we will have an episode about that some other time. But more importantly, right now, is what did it take away as far as your talents, skills, and hobbies, your interests? What were you passionate about? Right In the book, College Success Habits, that I referenced earlier, I have a whole part that talks about what was it that you found that you were passionate about that you were super into as a kid. Take that and choose that as your major. Um, and there's tons of t- TED Talks on YouTube about you know finding your passion and, and doing that as a career. And there's just as many that say, don't follow your passion because those change throughout your life. And that's true. What you enjoyed as a child is definitely not what you're probably enjoying now, but why not? Why not? If you liked playing an instrument as a kid, even if it was just banging wooden spoons on a pot and pan, go out and buy one of those drum machines where you can just bang the stick on it and wear headphones and hear. Did you like to paint? Did you like to play a hopscotch? I mean, whatever it is, when when you want to find something that sparks you, look back it's your life at the things that really made you happy while you were doing them. If it's adventure and thrill-seeking, you can do that in a safe way by going and renting a sea-doo at a lake or the, or the ocean or going to an amusement park and riding roller coasters. Or There's ways to do things that don't require copious amounts of alcohol and drugs to do. I took skydiving lessons a while back ago, and it was super awesome. Now, this was before I got sober, and I will say that what I'm getting ready to tell you happened while I was sober, but it changed the course of my entire life. I landed incorrectly skydiving and blew up my left knee. <laughs> and so that honestly is what led me to being coming sober. And that's for another story. I probably already covered it in my archives back in like episode four or five or six. Anyways, don't want to get lost in the weeds on this. Just when you're wanting to find something that sparked you, what I recommend you do is go back and look at the things that brought you true joy that really fired you up, whether it was a kid, teenage years, even now, what are the things that when you think about doing them, get you super pumped, super excited, like to the point where like, you just, you, you can't wait to do it. You can barely sit still until you do it. Maybe you can't sleep the night before the events coming up, right? Whatever that is, you find it, sit down with a list, ask yourself, what was it I truly enjoyed doing as a youngster? And I'm telling you, if, if you, this is again, you know, it might seem like a shallow answer whenever you say, okay, all you gotta do is think about what you said excite me. Ah, but there's depth. There's depth. Because now you're gonna have to ask yourself to go back in time and start looking at the little things in your life that truly 
got you excited. I'm not a huge fan of the fact that we have to lock animals in cages in order for them to survive. I'm talking about zoos and and those kind of adventure parks where animals are kept in cages. Um, At the same time, I understand that because of what the human species has done to our planet, in many cases, this is the only opportunity you have to see this rare rhino or to see elephants unless you go to Africa, right? So I go to zoos and I go to these places that they're at because I want to honor them. And I go to aquariums and I, and I, and I stare at the amazing fish because I'm just marveled at the Discovery Channel-like uh, opportunities that are all around me. And so that really excites me. Going and driving a long way away to go to a zoo or an aquarium is something that super excites me. And it's something I've really uh, latched onto in my sobriety and recovery as you know these cool little trips I make every couple months to somewhere where there's something like that for me to bear witness to. So find that in your life. And I promise you, as soon as you do, you're going to feel that spark. And man, with your passions, your talents, your skills, your hobbies, when you bring those back, when when you realize what addiction took away from you in that regard, because again, there's tons of things addiction took away, but just within your passions, talents, skills, and hobbies, man, go back and get and light the fire underneath those. And that will give you the spark you desire. Okay. So now we will move to question number three. Um, question number three came from Mindful Architecture, a huge fan of his page over on Instagram, Mindful underscore Architecture, I believe. Um, if you uh, type in Mindful underscore Architecture, it uh, will show him. And uh, here is one. He's like, when, he asks a question, when do you go from recovery to recovered? And I want to see if I can find that specific question when he asked it. Um, it was under the, which is healthier, telling yourself you're an addict or telling yourself you are in recovery. That entire post, honestly, was just getting you to question the kind of language that you're using in your mind. It is mindful underscore architecture. Um, when do you go from recovery to being recovered? Any thoughts on the subject? I, of course I have thoughts on the subject. I have thoughts on every subject. <laughs> we'll see if this one resonates with you. But about um, that question, which is healthier, saying that are you? I'm an addict, or saying that I'm in addiction recovery. There's a reason I start this show by saying I am in addiction recovery because I'm not going to use language that keeps reminding myself that I'm an addict, right? Like this is this is where and this is where I think the question that um, Mindful Architecture asked about uh, how do you when do you go from recovery to recovered? I don't know if you ever get to say that you're recovered. I get that this is a disease and many times people with cancer, or some other disease can say that they're cured. But even with cancer, you're really just in remission. So if anything, I'm in addiction, remission, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Every time I say addiction, remission, I want to do that. And uh, I know that it's an R. Kelly song and I'm sorry about that. It's just such a catchy little tune. Um, but I'm in addiction remission. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm recovered. Um, you know, that would I would start there. But I also say I'm in addiction recovery because I'm not going to continuously tell myself I'm, that I'm an addict. I know that I'm an addict. I know that I have an addictive personality. I know I have watched it bleed into every aspect of my life, especially now that alcohol and drugs are gone. I can I watch how I get super intense into things for a short period of time, and how then they can do it. They can just sort of fade away, fizzle out. Um, I can also see how things become damn near obsessive, 
you know, my workout and my counting of my calories and this, and this goal of this body that I want to attain in my 40s, uh, whether it's my work with the podcast and the book. And, oh my God, social media, I, Instagram took my life over for like the first four months I was promoting this show. And now I've learned I have to have a boundary with social media. I can't respond to everyone. I can't get on there and spend an hour a day going through and liking and, and commenting and doing all this other stuff. Like I have to have boundaries and I have to know that about myself because I, I know I'm an addict. I know that that's in there. Right. But at the same time, other than right now in this show, you know, when I'm in meetings and we're, and we're talking about that, I will reference that aspect of me. But generally I say that I'm an addiction recovery that I am an addict in recovery, that I am recovering from addiction, that I am in addiction remission. This is the way I frame it to myself because this is the reality of it, right? I, I get that I've, I've watched my, uh, my obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors go into other, let's just face it, every aspect of my life. And I'm okay with that because there's certain times where being that laser focused really pays off and super benefits me. So when I go to answer the question of when do you go from recovery to recovered, I think for me, a better way to phrase that would be when do you go from sobriety to recovery, right? I even gave myself chills when I said that. And so I think, I think at least for me, it's starting to really resonate and I'm starting to beat down on what it is I'm trying to say. And for me, so going from sobriety to recovery is when you go from white knuckling it where you have to hit a meeting every day. And if you don't hit a meeting, then you're feeling freaked out and the anxiety and the stress and, oh my God, and it's the overwhelm and am I going to use and, oh my God, I must find a meeting and like, right? Like you're just white knuckling, you're counting down not just the days, but the hours, the minutes, the seconds. And you're just like, please, please just get me through the next five minutes. That's the sobriety part. And that's the part we all have to go through at the beginning I guess. I'm not going to say we all have to go through it. I'm just saying that hell, that's shown up for me. And I'm over three years now, and there's been times where it's like I can just feel like, it's like if you can just picture like the universe just flying at me at 100,000 million light years a second, right? And you're just like, whoa, this is intense, like system freaking overload, right? But like I've said before, you, you just play it out to the credits. I realize that getting in my car and driving to the nearest booze store or the bar doesn't solve anything. I know what that, I know how that story ends. I've played it out to the credits. Even just one drink will inevitably lead to 10 and 20. And next thing you know, I'm blacked out. I'm stumbling around Hollywood and I'm getting my ass kicked again, or I'm waking up in a freaking alley. I don't want that. Right. So I just stop. And whenever the wave's coming at me, I just breathe it in figure out what the what, what what is the emotional trigger I'm going through and then start to work myself through it. All right. So I, I say I did that whole little diatribe for that last 45 seconds just to say that we're all going to have that sobriety moment where things can just start coming at us and, we're, and we sort of like just get triggered. You flip out a little bit. When you're moving into addiction recovery is whenever you're no longer having to count the days. You're no longer... If you miss a meeting, it's okay. You've got other things going on. You've, you've got your support system around you. You're feeling confident in what you're doing. You're not white-knuckling it anymore. So rather than being like, well, when do I go from recovery to recovered? Because, again, you know, everyone's going to have their own opinion of this. Or, you know, 
I certainly there are people 30 years in who say, I'm good. I, I, I consider myself recovered. Oh, that's fine, right? But if they really thought that, they would probably think that they could use again. But then again, they're not. And they'll say, well, I'm good. I don't need it. And that's great. But at the same time, are we really recovered? Are we always in remission? Who knows? You're going to have your own opinion on that. I'm not going to keep rambling on about it. The point is, is that I don't think we'll ever get to recovered as much as I think that we get into addiction recovered. We are addiction recovery. And it just means that we're, you know, we're in it and we're loving it. And now each day I wake up, I'm not worried about whether I'm going to use today because I know that there's no chance that's going to happen, right? Unless like somebody ties me down and pours booze into my mouth. Like, no, I'm not going to consume. I've heard people go, well, God willing, I won't drink today. <laughs> no offense to anyone's God, but I'm pretty sure he, he, no one's going to tie you. God's not going to come down and tie you down and force booze in your mouth. There is no God willing. You are making that choice. Right, you've learned by listening to this show that you are responsible for your choices. You are responsible for your actions. You are an emotionally mature adult now who takes responsibility for their actions. So sitting here saying, "Well, God willing, I don't drink." Well, you know, maybe I won't drink, but boy, I'll tell you what: if the world pisses me off, no, we're not playing that ball anymore. Right? We're in addiction recovery, and we're always working toward making the best version of ourselves a reality. Um. Another one that I saw, and this actually just came from uh, somebody on my Facebook, one of these uh, message requests, and uh, they didn't really even ask a question. They were just telling me how them and their, them and their partner listen to the show together, and they both find great value in it. And, and it really just touched me. This message made me just, it warmed me up inside. And so then it got me thinking about, well, how do you recover with somebody at the same time? And one, I, I've got to think that there's so many awesome things about it. And conversely, there can be some, you know, things that aren't so great. Um, but just looking at the positive side of it, I would, I would say that if you're recovering with someone else, that understanding that the way the two of you want to recover may not always be the same, but everyone's path is okay to be different because you know, there's um, infinite paths to addiction recovery. And so for those of you who are out there and you are recovering with a spouse or a loved one or a brother or a sister, realizing that they have their own journey, right? And you're supporting them along the way. And if in those uh, moments where you're near each other and the way you both want to recover um, looks and feels and sounds the same, then great, share that moment together. But somebody else might want to go and run for five miles and you might want to just sit there and read a quiet book in a, in a corner. And that's okay because everybody's learning to recover in their own way. Uh, my sister is a, and I actually began our recovery journeys together. Um, it was pretty amazing. She went in first. I, I went in second. Um, she had a relapse, and then she came back. And, and it's like now she's coming up on two years in September. And so it's uh, it's been interesting because for the most part, we've done it alone because she lives in Oklahoma and I live in Los Angeles. And so other than some phone calls and some Facebook messages, we haven't had the opportunity to do it together. But I'll tell you what, when I hear how well she's doing in hers, it just makes me so happy that she also sees the benefit in this and how amazing our life can truly be when you step away from um, alcohol and drugs. So if you're out there and you're recovering with someone close to you, just remember that every the way that you two recover is going to be different. And you can encourage the other one to step out of their comfort zone and try awesome things, but they might not want to all the time. 
right? I mean, if all they want to do is sit on the couch and Netflix and chill, then yeah, you know, cajole them a little bit out of <laughs> off the couch and, you know, have them go do fun stuff and realize everybody has their own definition of self-care. And who am I to judge? So if watching The Simpsons and, and hanging out at the house is, is what you enjoy to do for self-care, you know, and it keeps you from sitting there asking yourself why you still aren't drinking and, and boozing and drugging, do whatever you want, right? So that's the best thing about healing with someone else is that you can share in the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations and the, and the celebrations and the amazingness of it. And at the same time, um, you know, you can also be able to do your own thing. And because they know what they're going through, they're going to be able to empathize more with what you're going through. And I think that's super special too, because there are times where I try to explain my journey of addiction recovery to people who aren't in addiction recovery, aren't even in sobriety, right? They're just doing their own thing and they're still partaking in the boozy stuff. And uh, it doesn't always resonate. I, and I, and I, there's like a block sometimes where they just don't get the way we talk, the way we feel, the way we see the world now. And so it's really awesome when you can have someone close and special to you to share in this journey with because it will, it will be a game changer and it really will uh, open your eyes and motivate you to do so much more than you ever thought was even possible. Okay, and um, one of my buddies, Gumby, asked about going to concerts over the summer. I'm going to touch on this just in the last minute or two because the show's wrapping up. But my friend Gumby wants to start going to concerts again, and he used to get super crunked at shows. And so when I was at Fish in Charleston, South Carolina, last year, I think early December, um, I think it was early December? Yeah, right around my mom's birthday, December 6th. Um, there was a... Um, there is a uh, fish fellowship and it's a bunch of sober fish heads who man this table and they talk to people who about being sober. And in many cases, it's really just for those people who happen to be sober and at a fish show and maybe they're feeling the craving or the temptation, right? And this guy, I'm going to have him on the show soon. It's just been a little difficult getting hold of him. And um, he talks about systematic desensitization. And so this is, again, could be its own episode in and of itself. But what systematic desensitization is, is that when you used to go do things intoxicated, eventually, in order to enjoy them again, you have to start doing them sober. And to do that, you have to go actually experience it. For me, going to amusement parks and zoos and aquariums used to be something I did extremely inebriated. Um, I thought it was the only way to go, and it was that was it, right? For you know, 22 years, I was a hot mess, and that's how I went to all this stuff. And I, as a kid, I went sober, but not as a college kid and certainly not after. And so it was important for me to systematically desensitize myself from the want, need, and desire to be intoxicated whenever I went to these things. So I would, you know, get a couple friends together who knew the difficulty that was getting ready to present itself to me, and we would go do these activities. You know, going bowling, going roller skating, going to amusement parks, aquariums, zoos, going to museums. Shit, I mean, I'm telling you, I did not. If I, I did, if I was breathing and my eyes were open, I thought it was time to drink. So, it wasn't hard for me to go to everything I did intoxicated. Vodka in a water bottle, man. I'll tell you what, you can get away with murder. And so, um, not actual murder, but I'm saying you can just walk around anywhere you want to and just drink your drink yourself away, and no one knows. They think you're drinking water. So. I started getting people together and I let them know, hey, this is going to be tough. And you know what? If I can't handle it, if it gets too overwhelming, if it gets to be too much, I'm just going to turn to you and say, we got to go. 
and I'm, I'm going to expect that you're going to understand that. And um, there were some times where it got really overwhelming. Instead of trying to go, I was like, you know, I don't want to leave. Let's let's talk through this. And I had some really great people there who were able to, you know, talk me down from the proverbial cliff and, you know, get my heart rate back. And all of a sudden I was like, all right, all right, let's keep going. And uh, slowly but surely, I just systematically desensitized myself. So to Gumby and, and for the rest of you who are um, new into sobriety, um, Gumby's not. I think he's got. I think he's coming up on a second year soon, or maybe it's just first year. Sorry, Gumby, I forgot about the the time. I, I know it's coming. Anyways, um, just. Find yourself a support system. Go and understand that if you have to leave early, especially if it's a live music situation, maybe you only go for 30 or 45 minutes. When I first started going back to concerts, I would literally show up right before I knew that the open, the, that the the band I wanted to see was going to start. And the, I mean, talking 15 minutes, I'd get a water bottle, go sit in the, go sit in my seat. The band comes on. And as soon as the set's done, out the door, into my car, back to my house. That was it. It was done. And slowly but surely, I warmed myself up to it. So uh, systematic desensitization. We'll do that again later whenever I bring the dude on the show. But um, that's definitely a way to be able to get yourself. Because you don't want to stop doing that cool stuff, right? Going back to the things that spark you. If you had spent the last umpteen amount of years getting intoxicated before you went and did these things that sparked you, you don't want to have to put them aside now that you're sober and you're in addiction recovery. You want to keep them in your life. And in order to do that, you have to start getting used to doing those things sober. And I'm telling you what, three years down the road, you won't even, like now I go to do things and I'm like, man, why did I ever think I needed to be intoxicated? That was awesome. (laughs) I went up to Monterey recently and man, there was these sea lions and seals and they're coming out of the water and they're poking their little heads up like meerkats. And it was the most adorable thing. And back in the day, I would have had to have done that intoxicated and this time, I remember all of it. I, mean, I remember the, the big seals and they're uh, uh, grunting across the beach and the way that the little baby seals would make noise. And it was so adorable. <laughs> it's so adorable. And I didn't have to be intoxicated. And I remember it now and it's special and I have all these awesome memories. And I'm telling you what, life, it, life is good whenever it's, you can appreciate those those beautiful moments, those Discovery Channel moments, and and it, sometimes it's not even Discovery Channel moments. Sometimes it's just the way that a, a butterfly flaps its wings past my eye line while I'm sitting on the front porch of my house. Right? Sometimes it's just the way that life flows, where it just seems like the universe is just totally on my side and in my favor, and uh, being able to bear witness to those things with a clear mind and a clear heart. It is, boy, I just, what was I told my therapist the other day? Like, I am just blown away by how awesome (laughs) life is. It's like, why on earth did I ever think I had to do it with intoxicated? Oh, uh, and something else I told one of my life coaches, I'll get out of here on this because I speak from stage and I, I go on stages and I speak in front of large groups of people quite frequently. And I'll tell you what, there is not a drug on this planet that will leave me feeling has jazzed up and is and is just I mean I'm like a rhinoceros ready to charge through a wall when I get down off these stages. It is just the most beautiful sensation ever. And there is not a drop of liquor or a kind of drug that could replicate that. And it is just one of the most amazing things ever. And getting sober allowed me to find that spark that I so desperately desired for so long. And that's one of the ones that does it for me. So 
that's it. I hope you guys found this amazing. I, as always, just thoroughly enjoyed your time and really appreciate you being here for all of this. It is just, um, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes whenever I get the messages and and I and I just I'm reminded that this is resonating with people and this does matter and that uh, that we're all out here on this journey together and that we're all part of each other's communities and just thank you for being a part of mine and as always I'm just again ten thousand fold appreciative. Um, that's it. That's it. Be inclusive, not exclusive. Take care of one another. As always, the power of positive energy. Release it and your life will flow. Until next time, bye-bye.